views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Hey, this is Dr. Michael Drake, Chancellor at the University of California, Irvine, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and over the web at KUCI.org. I love Anita Radio. Good morning, everyone. I'm your hostess, Claudia Shambaugh. Thank you, Heather, for that lovely send-off. I hope to maintain the vigor that you offered last hour in, uh, in my own little way. I'm Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to my September 25, 2012 edition of Ask a Leader. A hearty welcome to all the new students and welcome back to the returning students. Wishing you all well on a productive adventure, yielding something remarkable with your parents' hard-earned cold cash. This is the beginning, well soon to be the beginning, I think next week is the beginning actually of our fall programming. Today it's also Yom Kippur, a somber day that humbles, it humbles even me. Days like this should give us all pause for reflection and for gratitude. I'm also very grateful for you listening today. We're going to have on first Holly Hagler, CEO of Commu- the uh, Senior Serve, a safety net nonprofit agency providing seniors with some really important services. And the second half, I'm going to have two Irvine Unified School District school board candidates, Lauren Brooks and Paul Bacota. We'll be back. Stay close. Don't go away after this brief interlude. Thank you, everybody, for staying with us. My first guest is Holly Hagler, the CEO of Community Senior Serve, or Senior Serve for official short, one of California's largest safety net nonprofit agencies providing social, nutrition, and health services to older adults and their families. Senior Serve has been around since 1961, but only recently came to my attention. Senior Serve provides 1.2 million meals annually to at least 11,000, count them folks, seniors in need in Orange County through senior adult lunches um, and meals on wheels, adult daycare, health care, uh, case management, and we'll talk about the innovative new programs designed to help older adults remain in their homes and in the community. That is the goal. And so with 20 years of experience in marketing and operations with various corporations, Holly Hegler was appointed CEO to Senior Serve in 2010. She has an MBA degree with Kellogg School of Northwestern University and dual graduate degrees from UC Irvine. Welcome back to UCI and to ask and to for the first time Holly Hegler to ask a leader. Thank you Claudia, it's great to be here with well, you. And you know what the, I have to ask. Did you ever listen to this radio when you were here at UCI? 
You know, actually, I did. Woof. What did you hear? What was what? What it's impressions more of linger? Middle of the night jazz kind of music, or what have you, when I was when I was going to school there. And that's many that's, years ago. That's what got you on your vigorous uh, career path that you've been on ever since. There you go. All right. Well, good. Well, since 1967, Senior Serve's been creating programs and services that reduce hunger for impoverished seniors and improve wellness. So let's learn about all the programs that you've done to meet the needs of seniors who would otherwise be at risk of isolation, malnourishment, or just have their superb skills uh, and talents wither away without being utilized or recognized or appreciated. Senior serve can be a two-way street, can it not? Uh, It absolutely can. we, were, we, are, we provide probably the most recognizable service that we provide is Meals on Wheels, which provides um, a, a nutritious meals delivered to frail homebound seniors in their homes um, five days a week, three meals a day, that make a huge difference in both their uh, malnutrition, um, their health, and actually in their sense of connectedness because they have somebody who's coming to their home to bring them their meals. Okay, and so and, and that's a problem. This isolation once once this becomes a sort of a a, a pattern, established disposition, we are our seniors are who are already let's say of uh, some minimal means. They're even more at risk, and there's more complications with trying to shore them up. There's absolutely, there are Claudia. Um, isolation and depression are huge issues uh, for older adults. And, uh, you know, as they age, uh, maybe they have lost the ability to have access to transportation. Um, their social networks may be getting smaller. There's a tendency to want to hunker down. It's harder to get up and get going in the day. And um, our services, many of our services are designed to really help them with that. For instance, another significant program that we provide yes. is hot, nutritious lunches at senior centers that get them out of the house and into the senior center, providing them balanced meals as well as much-needed social relationships, friendships that make them feel connected and give them a place to go every day. Well, have you in the, the, at least organization over the years, seen where those relationships have had some enduring value and helped uh, buoy them up, maybe longer-lasting relationships for these seniors? Absolutely. Many of them get connected. They start volunteering. They take, they come to the senior center for the lunch program. Uh-huh. Then they start taking a class. Pretty soon they're volunteering. Pretty soon they're driving around delivering meals on wheels. It, it's a huge social network. Um, you know, we talk about Facebook on all of these yeah. things that are going online. This is the real social network. Exactly. The, the analog with wheels, as we could say, on wheels. There you go. And so you also have a, um, a program for volunteers to come uh, once a week for an hour. It probably gets extended, but <clears throat> the understanding is they <clears throat> come for one hour in the home of the senior to interact with them. They're not doing any kind of a custodial thing. They're just there to interact. Maybe uh, tell us, I, I can imagine some benefits, but tell us how that program yeah. works. That's our friendly visitor program, Claudia. Yes. And anyone who wants to find out about that can certainly go on our website at seniorserve.org. But we're really just looking for somebody to be there. They may be 
playing cards with them. They may, during the holidays, may help them decorate a little bit. Mostly they just want somebody to listen to them, somebody who will connect, listen to the old stories. And they, they, like, they like people who bring in news from the outside world. These are enduring enduring relationship enduring enduring i like usually those two words always uh, usually they go together and and i'm thinking holly hagler that there is the unintended but extra useful benefit that that volunteer is is a set of eyes and ears on what's going on in the household if there's something uh not particularly safe or some kind of a trend that needs maybe uh, a little more attention from maybe a different branch of senior serve. I mean, that's certainly been, I'm sure, an important aspect of that. It absolutely is. Um, all of our homebound clients also have a case manager from our staff who meets with them regularly in their home. We have contact information, um, emergency contact information. So if there's any issue that comes up, we can put them in touch, call the family member. Uh, we may have their doctor's information. And so we can do that. The volunteer who's in their home can do that. We also have very limited funding, um, but we can provide some in-home services, such as putting a safety bar up in the, sh- in the shower. We'll go through, we'll look for things that, like a, an area rug that might be a tripping hazard, things like that, um, where we can just provide that little extra bit of assistance that makes a big difference in their lives. So let's say they're not, not as I said, in a custodial capacity, but maybe they just reach in uh, the refrigerator to pour a glass of something cold, and there they find lots of things molding or something. It just seems like there's so many ways that one thing could lead to the beneficial other. Absolutely. And, you know, we actually measure the outcomes of our programs, Claudia, which is an, uh, increasingly Good. an important thing for all nonprofits. And, and anybody providing social services to do. And what we found, for instance, with the Meals on Wheels services is that our new clients have a 34% reduction in hospitalizations. And if they do have to go to the hospital, a 62% uh, reduction in the length of stay. That's in today's, um, when we're so concerned about health care costs and everything that's going on, that's a huge impact that is measurable and really um, makes a difference for not just the individual person, but for society as a whole. Absolutely. For those of you who've just joined us, our guest on Ask a Leader is Holly Hagler, the CEO of Senior Serve, providing services, um, various services as a nonprofit to seniors at risk in the and the area. Holly is the northern portion provide, of um, Orange County, Central and North Orange County. And there, we do have a complimentary. Uh, the city of Irvine provides similar similar services in Irvine, and AgeWell Senior Services provides similar services in South County. Well, and as you speak of those organizations that do some overlap, some comparable things, you you're, uh, with Senior Serve in your geographic sphere have been able to uh, partner with a great many organizations to make you ever more effective in meeting all these senior needs. I'm sure you can just enumerate a few so people start to say, oh, yeah, they really are working there every angle here. Yeah, we really are. We work with not only the the organizations I mentioned, but we work with uh, countywide organizations, the uh, Orange County Office on Aging, uh, which is major. We work with many of the hospitals, Alzheimer's Association, um, the Caregiver Resource Center, 
many, many groups in Orange County or part of the Orange County Aging Services Collaborative. And I can, um, anybody who wants to find out more about those organizations can go on our website, and um, we've got a whole resource page to connect people. Some but, 50 organizations, yes. Yes, absolutely. And I want to make sure we have a chance. Um, when I met Lynn Dowsher, who's on your board, I met her last week. The really compelling one that I thought, I've just got to have Holly Hagler on my show today, was this idea, and you'll tell me how it was hatched and uh, whether you're the first to do this kind of a thing, is how you're providing rides for these seniors in the most efficient, the most communal fashion. Absolutely. This is uh, the program we call TRIP-OC. TRIP stands for Transportation Reimbursement Program. And it's actually a program that's been working in Riverside for um, over 20 years. They mm. tried to bring it to uh, Orange County in past iterations. For whatever reason, it, it didn't work. And we said, you know what, we're going to go at it one more time. So um, I was at a, uh, a community organizing meeting with Lynn Dowsher, who, and Lynn is well-known and beloved in Orange County, but she's also the former director of the California Department on Aging. Right. She has enormous perspective on uh, innovations that are going on throughout the state. And we were at this uh, program mm -hmm. meeting, and what struck me about this is it is a neighbor-helping-neighbor neighbor model, and we cannot, in this day and age, where we're seeing shrinking resources, shrinking government, um, you know, ability to provide services. And increasing fragmentation, which is the research is out there. NPR even talked about it over the weekend. Let's talk, yes. Absolutely. And if we don't get people, neighbors helping neighbors, we're just, uh, you know, our society, we're just going to continue to fragment. And atrophy. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So what this program does is we were able to um, receive a grant from the SCAN Foundation to um, bring this program back to Orange County. And what it does is, is a, an older adult that is not able to use any other method of transportation, they can't qualify um, or they're not able to go on the access bus from the uh, Orange County Transportation Authority, they're not able to use other methods of transportation. This um, provides the ability for them to get their own volunteer to drive them, drive them and it provides the funds for them to reimburse their volunteer for the gas mileage. And what that does, wow. these are extremely low-income people that are, rather than ask someone to do a favor for them, and remember, transportation isn't something that happens once a month. These are people that have to go to the doctor, they have to go to the grocery store, they would like to go maybe to their church or to... Maybe somebody's uh, going to, to Temple. Somebody's going to go to Temple on Yom Kippur today. Absolutely. They, they want to be with their community. And they can't because they're homebound and they do not, they simply do not have the resources. If you are living on $800 a month, which many people are in Orange County, you have to make a, a decision between whether you're going to have a place to live, whether you're going to have food in the house, medication, and you do not have the money to hire a taxi. Um, and so this provides the funds. They get their own volunteer so it enables them to connect with their community they may their neighbor may have driven them before claudia yes but they don't want to ask them again because they have nothing to offer in return this is a very proud our older adults this is the greatest generation yes they don't take handouts and so 
for them to ask and not to have something to give in return, they would rather go without. And that's what we don't need. We no. don't need people staying in their home, becoming more isolated, becoming more depressed, missing their doctor's appointments, going to the hospital when it was unneeded. And so this enables them to reach out, connect with people, and give something in return. Uh, it's a, uh, a small token, and it makes a huge difference in their lives. And, um, and many of the people that we serve, for instance, the FCTA does provide the access bus. The right. challenge for them is that you have to be ready when the access uh, bus comes up to your curb, and you have to be able to be out there to get on it. You may have to ride for two hours to go to everybody else's destination before you arrive at yours. And then if you're going to the doctor, you have to wait for them to come pick you up, and you have to do it all over again. The people who are on this service, and we do have an eligibility process. You do? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, if the people that are on our service have multiple health issues, for instance, I'm thinking of a client uh, by the name of John. He has um, heart, a heart block with a pacemaker, angina, congestive heart failure, osteoarthritis, Hard to get around. disease. He cannot sit on a bus for two hours. He's in constant pain. Uh, he's unable to sit, stand, or walk for any period of time. This program has been, uh, has been a lifesaver for him. Wow. Wow. And what's, what works, what makes this so efficient is you're in this informal arrangement, although you said you qualified eligible um, the patrons and you qualified the drivers, this doesn't. This cuts through the red tape of having to uh, indemnify and all, protect everybody from all kinds of litigation were something to happen, which well, hasn't happened, but were it to happen. No, it really hasn't. In 20 years uh, for Riverside, they've never had a claim. But the, the issue is is that it's not us providing the, the volunteers, right. which is for a lot of nonprofits, um, you know, volunteer um, management, volunteer background checking is a major issue. These are people who are getting their own volunteers. It's their neighbor, you know, uh, Mary, that has lived across the street for the past 20 years. Right. So they, it's their volunteers, and we're just assisting them. And you know what happens? It's they start to regain their own sense of ability to create their their future, to create their destiny. They can go out and make the transportation possible. And I imagine it does leverage a, even additional kinds of trips or gestures that. Uh, the, the neighbor becoming more aware of those travel patterns might say, well, you know, I'm on my way to uh, Mall A, and that, I know that's close to your doctor's office, or do you want to go s slip in the mall with me or do something? So I imagine it's the, that one trip that's set up with that voucher might leverage additional kinds of uh, benefits like Absolutely, trips. and forge that closer relationship. And we encourage, we encourage the participants to have two or three different drivers. So that they can, you know, again, um, have more resources to draw on, but more relationships. Absolutely. Well, I want to let those uh, who are just tuning in, you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live 24 hours a day on KUCI.org. My guest here at this portion of the hour is Holly Hagler, CEO of Senior Serve a nonprofit aiding seniors at risk, largely in central and northern um, Orange County. Well, we've talked about the, the, the uh, valuable um, asset that are your volunteers. Would you like, Holly Hagler, to say a little bit about what kinds of volunteers you look for? 
Absolutely. Mostly we look for people who have a heart to help help older adults. You know, um, uh, it, that's, a, that's a challenge. A lot of people want to engage around children or, uh, you know, animals. All of, uh, you know, uh, the environment is issues. It's a little bit more challenging to find people that want to work with older adults who have health issues, who are really, uh, who really are in need of assistance. But anybody who's enjoyed time spending, you know, talking with their grandparents or always wish they had a grandparent to connect with, this, what a wonderful way um, to work with people. So we're looking, we look for drivers, we look for friendly visitors, people who would like to deliver meals, people who would like to volunteer in the senior centers. Um, to do various, uh, to help with the lunches that we put on. We also can put people in contact with other organizations who work with seniors um, if they would like to, you know, find different ways of connecting. So we're always helpful. We're always happy to provide those referrals. You know, there is a, another program. Yes, please. Uh, Claudia, called the uh, the Village Program. It's a new innovative Excellent. program that we're doing. Just wanted to mention it yes. for a, a minute. but. Um, we've formed InCircle Village Network to really uh, develop membership-based organizations throughout Orange County that older adults can join. And the, it's mm. part of the village movement, which there are, people are hearing more and more yes. about. And villages are self-governing, grassroots, um, community-based organizations that are really designed to help people remain connected socially and in their own homes and in their communities as they age. And uh, members receive a variety of um, supports and services like transportation, grocery shopping, referrals to home care, um, you know, preferred vendors that they can trust, care coordination, lots of social activities, going to the theater, you know, going wow. shopping, going to Bob's house to, to play uh, cards for the evening. And um, it's all designed uh, for the members of the village, which are usually located in somewhat some kind of geographic proximity so that they can remain in their homes and still have those services that they would have if they had moved into, say, um, an assisted living or a retirement community. But they're essentially creating that network of friendships, socialization, and services in their own communities where they've always lived and, by the way, where most people want to continue to live. They do. They really do. And I, the more um, I realize that seniors are, you know, they're at the precipice of they can't even handle uh, the, all the responsibilities of home ownership, but they know that they're aware that there, there's a, a change, a sort of a decline when they're uprooted from that home. And any resource, such as what you're contributing at Senior Serve, that can help them stay there is it's beneficial, it's efficient, it's cost-effective. It, it really, um, it's, it's really, truly amazing. And I, and I, I just kind of want to just get a little personal with you. I think you and I have some uh, background with a parent with Alzheimer's. I'm just wondering, Holly Hagler, if some of your experience with your parent with Alzheimer's has informed you about uh, the necessity of what Senior Serve is doing. Absolutely. There's nobody who has um, dealt, not dealt with that, that couldn't have that same kind of sensitivity. My mother, we lost my mother to Alzheimer's about two years ago. And, right. I, you know, it was a period of decline um, over about 10 years. Uh -huh. And the, my parents were fortunate that they could really um, afford the best possible care for her. 
and I saw what great care looks like uh, and what it is like for somebody to be surrounded by family. And I can't tell you how many times the family flew in from at different points of the year from different parts of the country to help everybody share in that and to be there at those critical junctures. And there are just too many people who are dealing with those issues who do not have that level of support, those level of resources. And I think that's a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy. And you were talking about how uh, it's not not widely known. It's not the first place that my, a volunteer might go in a sort of, we'll call it a geriatric setting, just to be a bit clinical. But I, I must say from my own personal experience when I thought, oh, here I am helping out, and that it's a very interesting process where you start to understand there's a very two-way thing going on, that seniors giving back. So I, I want for listeners to think about um, when you're serving, you get served <laughs> in, in, in this kind of a way. So we, and we do want to remind folks, it's, um, the, the website is www.communityseniorserve.com. That's, I think you. there must be some other senior serve websites out there, so you need to put the community in there, correct? Uh, absolutely. We have a shorter version of the website. Okay. Seniorserve.org. Dot, okay. So yes, I've, and there's, there's no E at the end of serve, so S-E-N-I-O-R-S-E-R-V.org. Right. And that's where you can get in touch with Holly Hagler's uh, firm, uh, uh, organization, to uh, find out what, A, you can do, B, what you might be able to offer in the way of connecting. I'm, I'm really interested in seeing the transition movement uh, join up with what Senior Serve is doing. But So you could also find out, um, you know, if uh, there's... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking high school students who are always uh, in the need of broadening their scope of the world and the need uh, to provide community service. Uh, I'm, have you enlisted the um, and vetted some high school students over the years? You know, we have. Particularly, we have a holiday gift program that is a nice program for them to get involved in and, um, you know, helping to do, um, wrap presents and deliver them to, uh, to older adults who need them. We also have an, uh, three adult day health care centers that we operate in Orange County for individuals to go to during the day and then they can go return it um, to their homes at night, but they're provide, provided with supervised medical care. Yes. And, um, you know, individuals can um, uh, volunteer and, and uh, be involved in some of those programs as well. And before we close, Holly Hagler, I think it's important that we give everybody a chance to know that there is a fundraiser scheduled on December 2nd. It's going to be held nearby uh, the, uh, the nearby the radio station at the University Synagogue, featuring uh, popular singer-songwriter Paul Williams. And so, if folks, uh, if you like what you're hearing, Holly Hagler's talking about, and the University Synagogue isn't far from from the broadcast here. And uh, you'd like to see what's going on. Meet. I imagine there there will be staff there. People can find out all about the organization and help raise more funds to keep this this juggernaut of goodness uh, going along then uh, October 1st I guess is when the tickets uh, will go on sale yes, around the corner and so you can just go right on the website and uh, we would love to see people there and yes we will be sharing more about the program and we're really so grateful um, to Paul Williams for uh, for really donating this time it was his idea oh wow and he said he wanted to do a benefit for us and we are so grateful
Well, that is a good thing to look forward to, and uh, it was lovely of you with your busy schedule, Holly Hagler, to be on Ask a Leader this morning. Thank you so much and for all of the good deeds you're doing, and um, keep up the good work. And would you just wish, uh, there may be some seniors that are coming in uh, through the organization, just from friends they haven't met yet, give them our very best, and maybe... Uh, I, I suppose, well, we don't know uh, who be, might be observing Yom Kippur, but our, our best uh, Happy New Year to them and uh, uh, many good wishes for them in, in their relationship they build with you. Uh, yes, very much. And you know, Claudia, if I may, uh, yes. we just re- we've said the website several times. Yes, but indeed. A lot of older adults do not have access to the Internet. And so they so can call. The phone number is 714 and then there will be a, a phone menu, and you can find out where you need to go based on that. So yes. th- um, that's uh, very essential, and we'll include both on the podcast. So very good. Thank you. Holly Hagler, CEO of Senior Serve, doing what needs to be done for a very, very vital and important and precious sector. All the best, Holly. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, we are going to be back after a little bit of a break to bring on two Irvine Unified School Board candidates. And uh, that would be Lauren Brooks and Paul Bacota. So stay tuned, and um, we'll take that up with them shortly. expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Thank you for staying with us. This is Ask a Leader, as they said, on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My guests for this last part of the show are two Irvine Unified School Board candidates, Lauren Brooks and Paul Bacota. Lauren Brooks, a senior management of Adidas UCA, senior manager at ACIS, has over 18 years experience with Irvine schools, starting with the site council and then the uh, district-wide and the um, various services including some interesting advocacy she's done and institutionalized. We're going to talk about that in this interview. Paul Bacota, my other guest, has over 10 years of experience in uh, Irvine Unified School District. He's uh, been he's a board-appointed member of IUSD's Finance Committee. He's serving on three different school sites in uh, on the Irvine um, throughout the district here, elementary, middle, and high schools, uh, and uh, he is a uh, a Harvard alumni interview. I'm not going to dwell on that because we've heard so much about Harvard all over IUSD. We want to talk about everybody and be very in- inclusive of all uh, of all students throughout the district doing their best. Paul has a 20 year bus- is a 20 year business attorney and trial lawyer, and lives like uh, Lauren Brooks uh, in Irvine. He's been here since 1998. Lauren, you've been here how long? Since 1986. 1986. So between the two of these. 
candidates we have we are talking a 20 let's see 18 we're talking 20 some eight years of experience so they both join me here in studio a welcome to ask a leader lauren and paul thank you claudia thank you claudia I'm glad that you can come here today to help some of our friends who don't know what to do with down-the-ballot kinds of voting. And so we're going to bring the local candidates to the front uh, for people to have a, a, a very thoughtful uh, participation in the election this year. So let's begin by you telling us about your experience and why you're running. Why don't you tell us, Lauren, first? I've said a little bit about it, but we're... Tell us what you've been doing. Well, I'm running because of a passion. My uh, two sons, Derek and Kevin, went K through 12 in Irvine schools, and uh, my older son just graduated Bowdoin College in Maine, and yeah, now, and he's in Vienna right now with the Fulbright Commission. And my younger son is at the University of Denver. He's a math science major there, and playing ice hockey, and he will graduate next year. But when the kids left the house, I realized, you know, I gave 12, that K-12 education to them. I worked as a volunteer in the district in many, many capacities. And after they left, I really felt a passion to continue that advocacy work with the district and continue myself with the district, and so that passion continued. I do, um, I do an advocacy group out. I take... Um, we have a student advocacy trip that we take every year up to Sacramento to fight for education in the district, in public schools, specifically in Irvine. Um, and I've been doing that for the last six, uh, probably eight years. Six was just the students, eight years by myself going up there. I co-lead it with Wendy Bakota, Paul's wife. And we take 21 students every year, educate them as citizens, and educate them on how to advocate for themselves and we choose education as a base because they're all in education right now and they all feel a passion for the public schools and I, not to take away from the introduction not to take away from the introduction but what i um wanted for you to have an opportunity while we're on the subject is that you learned in the process that the legislators pay more attention to the students making their case for public ed support than any parent really can. The parents need to be involved, but the students really turn the heads. The students turn the heads, and they want to hear what the students have to say because the students are in the thick of it. And we discovered that eight years ago as parents as we went up with one student and how the legislators just wanted to speak to one student. But we educate those students, take them up. Um, we educate ourselves on every bill, everything that's going on. We do panel discussions of uh, within the school district, school board, and keep ourselves abreast of everything in advocacy. I've also been on school site council for th um, four different schools across the district. I have been a PTA president. I currently sit on the Irvine uh, IPSF, Irvine Public School Foundation Executive Board. Um, I'm a legacy partner there, and I sit on their community relations department, which is the fundraising arm of IUSD. So I've continued those the years after my kids have been in school and really continued my passion. And I've got to say, it's it, I have to allow parents whose children are finished um, with the school district that they continue to be involved. My very first guest on this Ask Leader show was Lita Robineau, who's oh, sure. um, carried on the same tradition of 
uh, once her daughters were done with IUSD, Lita hasn't dropped that. Now, she's not currently involved, but she's she was well in, uh, in participating past her daughter's completion of their... Paul and uh, I are big fans of Lita's, okay. and Lita's a supporter of ours, so we really appreciate Lita. Well, let's give Paul a chance to introduce himself here. Well, thanks. Background, your background and why you want so much to be joining this ship that I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what it's doing financially. Paul, please tell us. Thanks, Claudia. Thanks for having me on. Uh, like Lauren, one of the reasons I'm running or the main reason I'm running is that I've been incredibly pleased with the district. And I have an elementary school child, a middle school child, and a high school junior at Northwood. So we're right in the middle of all of the Irvine educational issues and have so far been incredibly pleased with the education that our children have received. And um, partially because education is so important to my family and obviously critical to the community, I want to do anything I can to help Irvine maintain its status as an exceptional district and help Irvine in any way I can continue to deliver really a world-class education to our kids. So, you know, I've been fortunate to have been involved for a little over 10 years with the district. Obviously, I'm in the schools a lot just because my kids currently are in school. But like Lauren, I was a PTA president, school site council member, I helped found um, a group called Brywood Dads, which is a group of dads at Brywood Elementary, that, and we encouraged dads to get involved to help with activities, to help with the kids. And as you mentioned, I've been on the finance committee for the district as Sharon Wallen's appointee for the past six and a half years. So I've been fortunate to see Irvine Education both as a parent, both as someone um, involved with PTA, with school side council, at the district office level with the finance committee. So. All of those things have caused me to be very impressed with Irvine and really do want to do everything I can to ensure that we keep this um, the district moving forward. Well, I understand that there's all this good feeling and there's this immense participation in this and uh, institutionalizing student participation in the legislative process and getting dads who didn't know they had this capacity in themselves to to contribute to a public school system but we are folks we are watching every year the revenue per child paid out dropping every year and I I say to to anybody who's listening I guess I have a few more listeners today is that we have when we think the situation looks dire now that it's gonna look a lot worse in two to three years from now so what can you do to tell us that you see there's a way that we can feel good about the trend going on in public education? Well, um, Claudia, you point out you know, a critical issue and something that all voters in California should be concerned with whether or not they have children and all voters in Irvine should be concerned with, again, whether or not you have school-aged children. So um, there, there are two initiatives, and, and we don't need to go into detail about them, that are um, potential revenue enhancers for um, for the state. One is Proposition 30, which is proposed by Governor Brown, and one is Proposition 38, which is proposed by Molly Munger. Both of those are um, vehicles to, to get additional revenues to the schools. If if those do not pass, then from, an, from IUSD, from Irvine's point of view, we would be looking at a cut of approximately $440 to $450 per student. Um, so for 2012 and 13, we would, it would be difficult for us, but the district would probably be relatively flat in terms of funding based on some cuts that we've made, some spending freezes that the district has made, and on some um, negotiations that w they've been able to achieve with the Teachers Association. But as you suggest, 
13, 14 right now, and, and obviously nobody knows, but if additional revenue does not come in, then you're looking at about a $13.5 million shortfall for IUSD. That is a phenomenal shortfall, especially because that is on top of already over $25 million that have been cut over the past several years. So this is a significant problem. And so you asked, you know, what can we say to feel good about public education? We can certainly feel good that in Irvine, that despite the cuts, the, the district and the teachers and parents and students have come together to allow us to still have an incredible district. But it is critical for voters to understand that there's also a degree of apathy in Irvine that there's always an assumption that the district will be fine. It's or, been shored up a bunch of times, a bunch of rounds. So yes. the white horse comes in and there's a big fat check from from the patron, Donald Bren or his uh, his foundations. But that's that that doesn't sustain a district. It it certainly it may bail it, out an enrichment from time to time, but it doesn't course. continue. It fills the hole. It and, fills the hole. And then we need to continue to make sure that we sustain. As Paul was saying, we've been very... Um, fiscally prudent in Irvine and we get a lot more we have a we are in a better situation than many of the other districts in the area but that is the things are changing um, you know the the state has changed where they're going to allow more furlough days um, right now um, I think the state is giving up to schools up to almost 20 uh, wow. uh, uh, 20 furlough days, which is a month, a of, month school. of school. And we don't want to see that happen. A month of school is trying both on the kids' education, the community, as well as the parents. <coughs> and it's, it's not something we want to go forward with. So as Paul said, the two initiatives out there, um, both of them can help. If neither one of them passes, um, I think the governor says he was going to make $6.5 billion cuts come in January. And yes, Irvine is set up to protect themselves this year, but in ongoing years, we we will have a problem. Well, and what I uh, I experience, and I'm going to ask Paul, because I don't think Lauren's in this same demographic area. Can't you see a change in education from what your high schooler had through elementary and middle school from what your elementary school child is experiencing now? Absolutely. And, there, and there's been a change even in the time that, that my kids have been in the district. I mean, the most obvious and concrete change has been with respect to class sizes. And yeah. obviously they have expanded tremendously at, at every level. And, you, you know, I notice it and have noticed it at every level with my children, but especially with my high school um, child, just, you know, to have a, an, an English class of 35, 37 kids, it's, it's impossible. Well, it's not impossible. It's so difficult for the teachers to, it's grade, not possible. to, it's grade, to grade papers and essays. I mean, and multiply that by five classes. So, you know, 170 students. Um, so it really has impacted their education. And there have been other cuts in funding. So the district still does an incredible job, but it, it obviously is more difficult, especially on our teachers and on our kids. Yes, Lauren, you were going to add to well, that. Well, I was just going to add, um, interesting that Paul especially brought up um, English in the high school and how many papers they have to write and how writing is such an important factor in our kids' education and through life into the 21st century workforce. But what Paul brought up is so many kids in a class. One of our students that we brought up to um, Sacramento with us was very, very concerned because his teacher from grading papers had carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, that's what I was going to say. That and red was, And he, he was very concerned with that. And he brought that up as too many kids in the class. For his, and, it, it, you know, it's just a small 
thing, but it's it's very aware. And you're not even talking about the hours involved in right. exactly meticulously that's right. going in. Paul's an attorney. He's wordsmith is wordsmithing Absolutely. is central to what you do, and you couldn't possibly be where you are now if you had been in a classroom of 35 struggling writers that were getting and, less and, and less And we exercise. don't want them to do less writing. We want the writing to continue because, again, that's how, we, how the students grow. And that's what makes Irvine special. You walk out of Irvine schools, you go into colleges, as my kids did, and they said, you know, Mom, I'm one of the best writers out here. Because and that was then. Can, right. But, but now, and, and I, a, a parent brought to my attention, too, that at the high school, I believe at least at uni and, and Woodbridge, I can't speak to the other campuses, but there are students who want to take a <coughs> physics course, but they, uh, the fix, physics course is at capacity, so they're becoming teacher's age, those students. They're sitting in the back or aiding the physics uh, teacher, but they're not taking that course. And I, it's looking like the community college system where you can't take all the courses you want to and you're a high school student, for goodness sake. Well, there's there's a complex issue there. Um, Please t- address that. That's yes. what we're doing here. Right. Well, you said it was Woodbridge and uni. Um, when, when students go to pick out their classes in the high school, they pick them out in, in May. And then the, um, the administrators for the high school lay out a master plan for those classes. So let's say 50 students pick to take physics, and I'm just using 50 as a number. Then they plan for 50 spots in physics. Now, if um, things change, um, what I believe happened this year, there in the central Irvine, which is the Woodbridge area, Lakeside and South Lake, and I believe it touched on uni, they had a tremendous influx in new move-ins but not as much move out. So we had a lot of new students coming in, but not as many moving out. So we had a disparity in how many, how many, how many spots there were. So in that respect, that may have been a problem. There's so many different problems that could have happened that um, would have hit a physics, a physics issue or any class size issue, any class issue. So that's just one aspect too, but it, it can in the in the next few years we may have to limit um, without funding things change and uh, limits may happen. And one um, other thing, which and to be honest, I'm not sure the degree how much of an impact this has had, but I think it's had some. Is there's there's was recently an ACL ACLU lawsuit. Yes, let's talk about that. Right. Um, against not Irvine school district was named as were many other districts, and the basic allegation is that there's a constitutional right to a free education and that some of the practices of school districts of, of requiring donations or contributions for sports or other things um, arguably violated the California Constitution. And as part of a resolution of that case, various school districts agreed to do certain things, including limit the extent to which they, quote, require donations. But one of the impacts as it relates to your question, Claudia, has to do with summer school. and. Um, Irvine still offers a robust summer school program, but we have not been able to offer in the last year or two the same programs we had before. So some kids who would have taken physics in or chemistry in summer, ah, th- that offering is not exactly av- is not available to the same extent now. And so in addition to the, the additional students that Lauren mentioned, um, larger classes, you also have that as, as a, an additional factor. And to be honest, I don't know how many kids directly that affects, but I think it would have affected some. And then you just have some normal scheduling things that many of the kids who may be in an advanced music class would also be the kids who would take an AP physics class. And sometimes there's just purely a logistical problem. And that's, you know, that's no one's fault. That's just the reality. But but there are other budgetary pressures that really are starting to impact our kids, even at the high school level, as you mentioned. 
So uh, we're we're at the crossroads of here of meeting all those <coughs> needs. And the, the high schools, they're all all four are in place here. They're, we can't expand them. We can. That I mean when there is a a, a, a an expansion uh, or an increase in uh, households with students in let's say in uni and there there's a minimum of time that the schools can respond and they can only respond and add more. There's not much capacity uni can add if there's a, a shift in the percentage of students in IUSD. So um, I, I, I want to let you listeners that uh, just tuned in, my guests are Paul Bacota and Lauren Brooks on Ask a Leader, listening, uh, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming to you live 24 hours a day on KUCI.org. They're talking about their candidacies with uh, running for the Irvine Unified School District Boards. There's two Three slots. Three slots open Three now, and so the Sharon Wallen remains uh, in the, filling out the rest of her two years, and Gavin, G- Gavin and Gavin, Fenner. who's on the who's on running for another position. We'll have him on uh, in next week, but. Uh, so that you have three people uh, to vote for, and I'll work on trying to get the other um, several other candidates on, so you can have a chance to to hear out and hear make distinctions between uh, the candidates here. Well, um, we're talking about the funding, and and Paul was good enough to bring up the uh, some of the the unintended fiscal impacts of the uh, the ACLU ruling about fees being. Uh, fees being accepted and no more kinds of costs um, that are required so, so that donations. dries up the donations so that that means that the summer school for IUSD or any other summer school cannot plan they don't know what kind of revenue they're going to have to cover those courses that are going to be a part of, the, of keeping that capacity what could be in the regular part of the year it, it certainly makes it more difficult they obviously do planning and some and they the IUSD has continue to offer summer school and I think people have been very happy with the offering but you're right it is much harder to plan and um, that we're not able to offer exactly what we offered before because of those limitations right and it especially hurts students who are are struggling (coughs) slightly because summer school is out there for those to repeat or help with classes where they didn't achieve the the goals or the grades they needed to get to move on and summer school gives them the opportunity to then move on to the next level when they move into the next grade and I'm talking high school level and I, I want to say it wasn't it's not a small thing to have also in cost effectiveness to consolidate the entire district's school summer program in one at one site that itself has its own complications so the these these fiscal impacts show up folks absolutely if you think irvine is just humbling humbly moving along it's there it, it keeps showing up in different ways that we we don't know until oh my god what are we dealing with um i uh, i also um we wanted to talk about there are there are two propositions on the statewide ballot and there is measure double b on the municipal ballot did you want to make some cogent pitches about uh, any of those measures for people. Well, I think Paul and I believe we both support Measure BB, which is the Irvine measure through the Irvine City. Um, and that ha- means how much money? So listeners know. I, I believe it's about two point five million dollars yeah. out a, of the general revenue of the city budget. Right. Correct. It's they they um, were gracious enough to put together um, a plan for money and it's in their overages of money so um, and they feel very strongly about supporting the schools um, the city does so that's on the uh, that's on the ballot as measure BB Um, and uh, we have prop 30 which is um, 
a an initiative that comes out through Molly Munger. No, 30 is Brown. Oh, 30, I'm sorry, is Governor Brown. Right. And he's um, that initiative is supported by the California Teachers Association. And that brings in um, money to the general fund to help help us keep structure to the general fund and keeps our funding at schools at at the level where we're used to um, keeps prop 98 going um, and then there and yes remember prop 98 everybody <laughs> yeah that's been so hard to that's keep right. institutionalized right and it keeps fluctuating yes and um, then we have prop 30, 30 which is Molly Munger's 38. 30, 38. I'm sorry 38 I'm sorry that's fine thank you Paul um, which is Molly Munger's um, initiative and she's funding that which will bring in about 5.6 billion dollars into the schools at on 2012 to starting 2012 2013 and that goes directly to the schools um, there are different points on each initiative do you want to uh, touch on those yeah points? and and Claudia I don't know if you want to go into detail about them but they, they both are they have different um, one tax is personal income tax and sales tax. That's Prop 30. The other one is a um, uh, personal income tax um, generates revenue through personal income tax. So both of them would bring in money to the school. So as Lauren said, you know, everyone everyone is concerned about additional taxes, as are we. And you know, I'm not thrilled to pay more taxes, but we, we do also we do have a revenue crisis, unfortunately, that is dramatically affecting our children. And um, while we obviously need to work on ways to cut expenses, at this point, unfortunately, in the short and medium term, we do need more revenue. So um, both of us do support both of those measures and and support Measure BB as well, which it, and Measure BB, just to be clear, would not require um, any additional taxes at all. That is all money that is sitting in the general fund of the city of Irvine. And the um, that money would simply be allocated over to the school district, so that would not involve any new taxes. Which so, has the support of all the city council and all of the, sc the current school board members? It, it has the support. The city council voted 5-0 in support of it, so the city council did. Well, that's pretty big. The yes. school board on um, October, uh, I think October 12th, in their October meeting, is taking up um, the propositions and, I believe, Measure BB with respect to a formal resolution but they have not voted formally on that but okay on all the measures i think i'm <coughs> safe saying that paul and i believe it's a vote yes on all those measures the two initiatives and then measure bb okay well we need to wrap up but not without both of you having an opportunity to give us the website we'll put it in the podcast as well for your campaigns oh this uh, my is lauren brooks lauren brooks is lauren brooks for school board at dot com and you can also reach me at um I, that's Lauren Brooks for schoolboard.com. And uh, Paul? Uh, mine is uh, www.bocotaforschoolboard.com. Um, and if you also go to irvineeducationfirst.com, that's a, um, a website that Lauren and I and then Mike Parham, who's the current school board president, are um, running together and sharing some things together. So if you go to that website, you can get information and a link to all three of us as well. Thank you, Paul. Okay. Well, I'm so website. glad in your busy campaigning that you could spend a little time with our listeners. And I thank you for your willingness to devote all the time and the incalculable resources into campaigning on our behalf. And so these are just two of the, now there are six, nine. there are nine candidates total for the school board. It's good <laughs> to get familiar, as I said, with down the ballot um, Absolutely. candidates. And so I um, wish you and uh, I wish the 
the listeners' full participation on their entire ballot. And I want to thank you two for being on the show thank today. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. And it is much. National Voter Registration Day today, so get out and vote. Oh, get, get out and register. Register. Well, you can vote shortly. Those pamphlets are coming shortly, too. So thank you for coming thank you on. Very, thank, thank you very, you very much. much. So we're going to uh, close out the show today. I want to... Um, let you know that as this did kick off our uh, my electoral coverage next week we'll hear from Orange County Registrar Voter Neil Kel- uh, Registrar Voter Director Neil Kelly to post us on the deadlines for balloting and thanks for Paul Bacota to give us the uh, the registration day awareness day and all uh, special features of this general election we'll be covering it's a ritual folks you know that on my show by now um, what we're doing here is um, I want you to join me uh, as my uh, electoral coverage continues, thanking uh, Paul and Lauren for covering uh, their uh, candidacies today and thanking them for their willingness to devote time and other incalculable resources on on our behalf. Um, Next week, after Neil Kelly, we're going to hear from uh, Gavin Huntley-Fenner, who's running uh, on the Irvine City Council. I do want to hear your comments and suggestions for doing justice to this electoral season. See Shamba at KUCI dot org gets us together. Thanks for joining me today, and I look forward to time together with you next week. All the best. Next up is George Had a Hat. Uh, Thanks for listening.